Welcome. You're listening to Sanseat. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd. Today's episode of Sanseet is brought to you by Langevin and Axison Marketing. Langevin and Axison Marketing specializes in social media promotion and public relations. Langevin and Axison Marketing works with campaigns that offers products, books, and services to inspire and improve their lives. They focus on small spiritual businesses, authors, and teachers. Their clients have high quality products and services that they are proud to promote. If you have a business that has the potential to grow, go to Langevin and Axison Marketing and receive 10% off the first month of service. Contact Langevin and Axison Marketing and refer to Sanseed Ship. Hello and welcome on today's episode of Sanseed. We've got Rachel Mann. She has discovered and became a shaman. She has explored all aspects of the mind and how trauma can affect the person using shinamic healings. Hello and welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, thank you, Erin. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Did your family help you enter this role of shamanism and spirituality? Well, my story, um, you, you can say yes in, in, in many ways. Um, my story is that uh, I grew up in a, a white, uh, middle to upper middle class um, family in the United States. Um, on the outside, everything looked kind of like, you know, the normal family. Um, but the, the good news and maybe a little bit of the bad news is that my mother, who would now be in her early 80s, was um, quite an unusual woman. She was a, I call her a spiritual maverick in that back in the uh, 60s and the late 60s, she was, became very interested in Asian and Buddhist philosophies. And um, she also purchased one of the first books published by Jane Roberts uh, called The Seth Material. And so I was influenced by her at a very early age um, in these kind of alternative spiritual ways. She also spoke a lot about being psychic and seeing ghosts and that sort of thing. So in some ways, that's the good news in terms of who I became. The bad news was that she was also probably mentally ill, although undiagnosed, all of her life, formally diagnosed. Um, and so she was quite, um, in many ways, sort of abusive um, of me. And, um, and so that was a big piece that, you know, she was a really big influence in terms of my becoming a healer because um, eventually when I got into my early 20s, um, I really was struggling a lot with depression and anxiety and having problems in my relationships. And so I got into uh, talk therapy and then continued in talk therapy, eventually getting into Jungian analysis when I was in my uh, late 20s, and then eventually discovered energy healing in my early 30s uh, because I developed a chronic 
pain condition in my back and shoulders and neck. So, you know, the journey to heal from whatever the disease was um, as a result of my mother's influence definitely contributed to my becoming a healer. And certainly the spiritual exploration that I, um, that I was, that I took on really since I was a young child, um, I've always been spiritually um, interested and engaged and spiritually aware. And certainly my mother, you know, my mother had some influence in that, although I think I came with it from birth. So that's kind of the, that's the short version of how my family influenced me. My father was not um, overtly in this way, very spiritual. Um, he was a very good, kind, caring man. And um, he and I always had a very strong connection, um, heart connection. And so he was in, in a way kind of one influence that I always consider sort of saved me, right? And he was also very, very good with people. He was a good listener. He liked people a lot. And he recently died this past year, and, I, as he, and he had a long convalescence before he died. And I, I really ended up learning more as I talked to him about death and about his life, about how much I inherited from him in terms of my interest in people and my, what you might say, are some of my healing gifts. So I really, I really inherited what I would call my healing gifts from both of my parents. What fascinated you to go down the road of shamanism? Well, it was, it was not a straight and narrow path. Um, as I said, my mother um, uh, bought one of the first Seth books when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I read that book, and Seth, who's a channeled entity, talked uh, at length about the nature of reality and about how... Time is actually not linear, but holographic, and that past, present, and future are happening all at once. And he talked about, therefore, that we are living in many different lifetimes and many probable realities, probable selves, simultaneously. And because I knew as a child that I had lived other lives, I came with that understanding. I decided as a result of what I read and my mother's talk about Buddhism and reincarnation that I was a Buddhist. And um, so that, that kind of strength of conviction and my spiritual connection eventually um, led me finally in my early 30s to um, decide to go sit with um, a living Buddhist teacher. And what had happened actually, just to go back a little bit into the past, is that my mother had had us our family go to get trained in transcendental meditation when I was about 15. So I had that meditation experience. Um, we also went to the Episcopal Church when I was a young kid. And um, I ended up in my early 30s wanting to find more of a spiritual anchor. And so I revisited the Episcopal Church but really felt like it wasn't uh, the right fit for me. And then when I discovered energy healing and this energy healer that I worked with, started to work with in my 30s, she was studying with a Cherokee teacher named the Venerable Dahani Oahu, who is in Vermont, was in Vermont. And Venerable Dahani carries an ancient lineage going back 27 generations, um, a Salagi lineage, which uh, in the Salagi language we've translated into Cherokee. 
And she also is a recognized um, teacher and handal, which means um, also teacher or reincarnated um, enlightened being in the Tibetan Buddhist drink and kagyu traditions. So when I was about 33, I decided to go up to Vermont to meet her because by then, uh, because Episcopalianism uh, hadn't really um, responded, I hadn't felt it was, I have a heart connection to it. I decided to go sit with her in order to explore my Buddhist connection with a living teacher. And she, um, what I was very surprised about is that the Cherokee teachings were what really, really captured my heart. Um, she and What she says is that the Cherokee and Tibetan teachings are of one taste, so that they are very, very, they have very similar, many similarities energetically and in the forms and formulas. So it was the Native American teachings that captured me, and I studied with her for three years, but I was very... Um, I was actually kind of confused about why I, this white Anglo-Saxon Protestant woman, would be so drawn to Native American teachings. And at the time, I was doing anti-racism and anti-violence education and teaching at the university level. And I was doing a lot of research about the genocide um, in the Americas of indigenous peoples. And I, I was also aware that there were some controversies about white people, you know, basically studying Native American spirituality and um, and in the view of some Native Americans um, co-opting or, you know, stealing from or misrepresenting Native American spirituality. So I just began to read and I, I began to pick up, I decided after doing some reading in the history of uh, Native America and um, you know, writings by Native Americans about their spirituality, I decided to pick up some books by some very well-known white shamans in the West, um, one of whom is um, Mar Martin Prechtel, and he's actually also part Native, studied with the Maya of Santiago Atitlan uh, in Guatemala, and um, also read Bradford Keeney, who does has a whole set of teachings he calls Shaking Medicine, um, from, among other places, the Bushmen of the Kalahari. And their stories um, really uh, captured me, particularly Brad's story, because he, he was and still continues to be an academic, as I was. And he began a journey to explore more his connection to indigenous healing practices. And so that's how shamanism opened up to me. It was really from Buddhism to Native American spirituality to shamanism, and um, I have developed the belief that shamanism is really um, a phenomenon that exists in the Western world. I don't like to use it to describe Native American practices and beliefs. Um, and then eventually I met a teacher in my hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I went to her for a shamanic energy medicine session and really felt the ancientness and the power of, the, of what she did as being very similar to the ancientness and the power of what Venerable Tahani teaches. And so she advised me in terms of my own healing and spiritual journey to go study with the very well-known Alberto Viodo, who founded and runs the Four Winds Society Healing the Light Body School, one of the biggest shamanic training schools in the Western world. So basically, um, and that was... Um, 
So my study of Native American spirituality started with Venerable Honey when I was in my 30s, and then I spent about the next 10 years um, doing a lot of academic study of um, shamanism and Native American spirituality while I continued my spiritual practice. And then in my um, when I was actually uh, finally, uh, how old was I? I was uh, 45 was when I met... Um, uh, Deborah and I went to study with Alberto when I was uh, 47, uh, 46. And so that started my formal shamanic training. So that's that's kind of the long <laughs> narrative about how I got there. Um, I feel it's important to show this, this um, you know, the pathways, because I know a lot of people in the world have similar stories of kind of, you know, finding their way you know, to, to the shamanic path through different doorways, you might say. What was it like learning from each of the teachers you've mentioned? Well, that's a really wonderful question. Um, I'm very deeply grateful to all of my teachers, not only the teachers that I've met and worked with directly, um, but their teachers. Um, Venerable Dahani is quite a remarkable woman and a remarkable presence. Um, many experience her to be an enlightened being. Um, when I was at the University of Virginia teaching classes um, in an adult degree completion program to um, uh, undergraduates, I taught a course called Gandhi and the Native American Peacekeepers. And um, I had them read Venerable Bahani's book and compared her, at, you know, really um, presented her as a Native American Gandhi. Um, her teachings are very, very clear, very pristine. I experienced them to be um, really sparkling. Um, she teaches about how to work with our own inner world in order to quell inner conflict and the violence that we hold within us and to foster peacekeeper mind, foster a mind of clarity that holds a vision for peace for ourselves and for the planet. Um, and as I said, you can feel the very ancientness of her teachings. Um, I believe Venerable Dhani might be um, one of the very few um, Native American teachers in this time who, who actually really gives an experience to her students of what it is like to live in a way that, might, that maybe indigenous people around the world through time have lived, where there are always, there's always ceremony there's always healings, um, there's opportunities to pray and to work um, together to remain in harmony and balance with uh, oneself, with the earth. Um, and so there's a great clarity and a great love that I feel with her. Alberto is a wonderful man who himself has a remarkable story. And I really enjoyed him because he comes across as being very humble and very human. Um, he's very much about the teachings, and he conveys them in a very straightforward and, in many ways, magical way. Um, and through him, we get connected through the mesas or the medicine bundles that we we work, we develop through um, rites of initiation. We are connected through him to an ancient lineage of healers and keepers of stone shrines and wisdom keepers and earth keepers through time. 
And so through our mesas, we can, and through him, essentially, we are connected to this lineage and can work with them. Um, and uh, I know that he borrowed from a lot of different traditions, among them from the Andes and Amazon of Peru. Um, but what he has brought together is really um, this beautiful um, and very rich and deep spiritual way. Um, those really are my two main teachers in the body um, that have I've worked with more intensively. And, um, you know, many other teachers, I feel I'm influenced even by teachers out of the body. Um, I especially experienced after studying with Alberto, having teachers in the room with me um, when I worked with clients in energy healing sessions. And, um, and, um, and then as I opened up to offering teachings of my own to students, I found that all of the connections that I have energetically, not only to Alberto's teachers and those lineages, but to Venerable Tahani and others, really were like flowers that bloomed inside of myself. Um, and, uh, and I carry forth those teachings as they come to me, um, uh, through me, into what I teach to others. Uh, when I teach the shamanic path, what I call Mother Earth mysticism. Why do you call it that? Well, one of the things that's happened over the past couple of years as I've been teaching ceremony and leading ceremony is I've felt an incredible deepening of my connection to Mother Earth, which in the Andes they call Pachamama. And, um, and really also a deep connection to the mountain spirits, or what's called in Quechua among the Andean peoples, the Apus. Um, the Apus are considered to be great beings of light who are wearing the clothing of mountains, um, and they are able to um, be connected to us and give us messages and send us light and uh, connect us with um, the lighter, the light dimensions. And what I began to realize is that really shamanism, if you want to call it that, or the original ways of human beings were to connect with the divine through uh, our deep um, reliance and interconnection and interdependence on Mother Earth, and that the spirit and consciousness of all that is exists in every flower, in every stone, in the mountains, in the waters, and that when you pray with good and open heart, with earnestness, and with beautiful words, that you awaken that energy, you connect with that energy, and you are sourced by it. And that it is a mystical path. Shamanism is really a path of self-revelation um, in the Western world, meaning that we, we go on our own personal journey and we develop our own connections to the divine, to spirit, to Mother Earth, and through that we come into communion with all that is and with our soul, and um, and that is what mysticism really is, which is uh, seeking divine self-revelation um, on the path to enlightenment um, and to going more and more deeply into um, the compassionate and wise and loving heart. So that's why I call it Mother Earth mysticism. You decided to go back to university. Tell us about that. Yeah, my academic career is also an unusual one in some ways. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in Russian studies and a master's in Soviet studies. 
Um, you know, I I was born in 1961. I'm a baby boomer, and I grew up, you know, most of my early life uh, into, you know, my late 20s in the Cold War. Um, from the time I was a very young child, I, I was very concerned about violence. I remember um, watching the the daily counts of the dead and wounded in Vietnam when I was a kid. And I was just so concerned about and worried about, you know, why there was this violence and why there was war. Um, So then when I went to college, um, as it so happened, my sister, well, actually in high school, I ended up taking a class that was offered on 20th century Russian history and became very interested in Russia in high school and read actually in my sophomore year um, some of the books of the Russian exiled writer um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, one in particular called One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which was semi-autobiographical about the life of a man in in the Stalinist um, concentration camps called Gulags. So my sister suggested I take a class with a Russian history professor named Jay West at my college in Trinity. And um, um, so that started my journey into studying Russian. And at the time, I thought, well, you know, if I have a degree in Russian, I'll always have a job in the Cold War, right? And so I continued my study of Russia through... um, Uh, my master's degree, and then eventually decided to get a PhD, but I shifted my focus over to um, folklore and anthropology and cultural studies, and ended up um, in that way kind of leaving behind a little bit of the focus on the former Soviet Union and Russia, and I ended up studying, um, writing my dissertation on a Carpatho-Russian Greek Catholic Orthodox Church in the southern coalfields of West Virginia, which was a spiritual, in a way, awakening for me because of the depth of their spirituality. And I wrote my dissertation really on the connection of their church to their spirituality, but didn't have what it wasn't very well received because in academic, the academic realm, even still today, we're not really supposed to talk about spirituality, right, and transpersonal experiences. So I ended up, um, eventually, when the Cold War ended, I ended up getting a job as an administrator in teaching and technology um, in higher education, but I continued to teach, and I was teaching a lot of classes on uh, violence and peace and anti-racism classes and bringing um, the contemplative practices from Buddhism and Native American spirituality into my teaching so that my classes were really... um, helping students not only uh, learn didactically, intellectually, history and culture and so on, and understanding the dynamics of um, how violence happens, um, but also teaching them about trauma from many disciplinary perspectives and how unhealed trauma in our, on, the, on an individual and a collective level in our families and our ancestral lineages in our communities and our nation perpetuates cycles of harm and is uh, underlies any genocide that we may have seen in the 20th century and even to the present day. So I was doing all of that work while I was being an administrator and eventually I had a medical health crisis uh, in 2007 that 
uh, literally one night I woke up and um, um, the spirit of my cat who had died earlier that day came and spoke with me and she said, you know, you need to step up and do what you know you're meant to do. Because I've been trying to find jobs in academia to get out of my academic, my administrative work. I wanted to do more teaching and work um, in the field of peace and violence studies. Um, and I hadn't been able to find anything because I had such an unusual career. And uh, she said, you need to step up and do what you know you're meant to do. And um, as a result of that um, message from her and the medical crisis that happened, I decided to leave my tenured job at the University of Virginia and to become a shamanic healer and to start all over again with a new career, a new kind of work. Uh, but I keep my feet, I kept my feet in academia. I continue to teach part-time for UVA on the topics, as I said, of um, I taught a course on shamanism in the New Age and cultural identity and violence and Gandhi and the Native American peacekeepers. And I'm now actually a faculty member with Atlantic University. We offer an online degree in transpersonal psychology. So I still keep my feet in the academic world and all of my academic research and teaching um, really deeply informs my spiritual teachings because I have never seen their, I've never believed that the two of, two of them are separate. Um, I believe that the work of healing the world from violence is a spiritual task um, and that any spiritual work we do on an individual level is contributing to transforming the violence in the outer world. What is transverse psychology? Ah, Transpersonal psychology is a field that emerged in the 70s um, out of the field of psychology. Um, uh, a group of well-known um, psychologists at the time uh, decided that the, the psychotherapeutic journey, the journey of the human being, while it is psychological in the sense that it's there's the mental and emotional component, right, that we are familiar with in Western uh, society when, you know, in, in the form of various talk therapies, right, where, you know, we tell our story and we, about our past and we figure out the linkages between, you know, things that happened to us in the past and the present and we try to change our behaviors and change the way we think. Um, there was a group of psychologists who believed that spiritual experiences, spiritual experience is equally as important in a person's life story um, and wanted to really embrace the idea that we are not just the body and the mind and the emotions, but we're body, mind, emotions, soul, and spirit. And also wanted to talk about what they labeled extraordinary human experiences. So these are experiences that human beings may have of deep openings, um, you know, where they experience the presence of God or spirits or angels, or they or they have a near-death experience, or they see, feel, sense, hear, and know the presence of spirits, or um, have psychic intuitive gifts. So in the field of transpersonal psychology, all these um, elements of what, what uh, makes up our human experience are included in the exploration of our psychology, and they call that transpersonal, meaning that it transcends while also includes the personal. When a person has a, a trauma, can you use these methods as well as the shenamic and spiritual uh, tools to help the, the trauma? 
Um, you mean transpersonal experiences? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, I think fundamentally, let me just explain. I'm not a transpersonal psychologist. I should be very clear about that. Um, I was actually hired at Lent University because of my shamanic work. Um, but, you know, transpersonal psychology is a large umbrella. It includes any spiritual path or any healing path that, that includes um, energy healing, um, you know, and that includes any way in which we access these, you might call higher states of consciousness and extraordinary human experiences. Shamanic energy medicine fundamentally opens us up. We work in what we call in, the, in Alberto's tradition, we open up sacred space. And sacred space really is a way of doing prayer to connect to the powers and helpers of the four direction, the earth, uh, Mother Earth and um, the beings that we might call in the above worlds, um, which you know goes by many names. We could call it. I like to call it the spirit within all, spirit within all things. Um, other religions and traditions call and personify this this spirit as God or Allah or Yahweh. Um, so we work in sacred space, and then what? I do is I talk with a client and, you know, a client will come to me and say, I'm here because I'm having, I have PTSD, I have symptoms of PTSD, or there's these blocks in my life, you know, I don't seem to be able to succeed, you know, in work, or, or I don't seem to be able to have, um, you know, love in my life, or they say that they feel like they have a higher calling, but they don't know what it is, <clears throat> or they're afraid to step out of the career that they have, which is stultifying and deadening and do what they really want to do. So all of this can be called transpersonal, but I don't really like to really talk about what I do as the transpersonal because it's not my field. Um, I just call it shamanic energy medicine. So with the client, we talk about what's up for them. And while they're talking, I'm tracking their energy and, you know, sort of feeling into what are the deeper currents, the energetic currents until we, we finally come to a place where we we have a sense of what the intention of the work is and where I have been able to connect with the energetic frequency of the problem and its potential for transformation. And so then I have the client take a stone from my Mesa or medicine bundle and blow all of the feelings, sensations, energies of this issue into the stone. And then I do energy clearing. And... Um, and in that state, in that space, as we work together, the client may end up having feelings of lightness and bliss and heart opening, their third eye opening. Um, they may have visions. Um, and all the while, I'm journeying and clearing as well um, the heavy energies from their luminous body, their light body, and clearing out, you know, the clutter in their minds and, and, um, and then journeying to extract the wounds and bring back soul parts and soul gifts and power animal allies. And so I'm also having a journey and an experience um, that is in service of the client. Um, and so that, of course, does fall loosely under the, the rubric of transpersonal, but I don't use the word transpersonal to talk about my work. I, I basically call it shamanic energy medicine. What is a medicine wheel? Uh, the medicine wheel. Well, I teach... Um, I teach a system based on the medicine wheel that I call the great medicine wheel of the new earth. 
The medicine wheel is an ancient, ancient system um, that human beings have used to map the journey of life and to map the different dimensions of our human experience on the level of the body, the mind, emotions, the soul, the spirit. Medicine wheels are also used um, to connect more deeply with Mother Earth and to harness um, the the energy of Mother Earth in service of um, uh, keeping balance and harmony in nature and on the planet. So, in you know, most of us are familiar with the with Stonehenge um, or with the great the Bighorn Medicine Wheel in Wyoming in the United States. <clears throat> And um, so human beings have built wheels on the earth um, for millennia as uh, ceremonial sites, as ways to map and connect with the, the heavens, with the sun and the moon and the stars. So the medicine wheel is this amazing system. And the great medicine wheel, the new earth that I have developed and that I teach about, um, I, I merge the teachings adapted from Peru and South America by Alberto Viodo with, with teachings of Buddhism and, um, and what I call esoteric Christianity, um, which is the teachings of light and love of um, the being, the great teacher Jesus and um, of our connection to what we might call in Christianity the angels and the archangels, as well as death psychotherapy. And so the Great Medicine Wheel of the New Earth is a way for students, um, for human beings to come and learn how to walk through this beautiful map of life. Because as human beings, we're living in the body, in the physical dimension where time is linear. And in that dimension, we have to eat and sleep and have a roof over our heads and it's also the place where we are in survival mode, you know, in the day-to-day. -day. It's the prim our primal connection to Mother Earth. And that's the South Lodge of the Medicine Wheel. The West Lodge of the Medicine Wheel is um, the place of the mind and the emotions, the psychology, the deep self, the subconscious. Um, it is the place we enter into the invisible, unseen dimensions of ourselves and... Um, uh, the universe, and there we explore that dimension of ourselves. And then the North Lodge is the dimension of the soul, which is the, the greater part of ourself that has chosen to come to birth in this time and space continuum in a physical body to achieve certain things, to learn certain things, to grow, and um, where we connect to those destinies. And in the East, East Lodge, we connect with our spirit, and with the oneness of all things, and with how we are a spirit that lives in a human body and therefore are a co-creator with the spirit of all in creating a life of beauty and compassion and love. So that's kind of my medicine wheel, the great medicine wheel of the New Earth is one wheel, but there are many medicine wheels. You can use this, this um, four-part system to really map many things. Um, in life, you, if you begin to look around, you'll see things in fours, just like, you know, in at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we have, you know, the cycles of um, 
the rising sun and, you know, the morning, the evening, you know, the, the, day, the morning, the daytime, and the setting sun, and so on. And I hope I'm not talking too much. I can go on and on, so you're welcome to interrupt me. <laughs> it's my old, you know, I've, I've worn the hat of the professor for, you know, all of my adult life, so <laughs> I have no problem talking. That, that's perfect. What is the sweat lodge? Oh, a sweat lodge. Well, let me first say is that I do not lead sweat lodges. Um, I have been a participant and a recipient of sweat lodges. Um, you know, it, it's a tradition that you find around the world um, in different cultures. Russians do it in one form. Um, it's very it's very well known to be connected to um, Native North American spirituality. Um, And um, it is a way of praying and uh, purifying one's body and mind and feelings and energies um, through the use of fire and water um, in a beautiful lodge that's usually built with um, saplings and blankets. Um, but, you know, I don't really want to talk too much about the sweat lodge because it is a sacred ceremony to the Native, Native Americans. And, um, you know, I think it's fine for people when they are invited or wish to, you know, do kind of a sweat lodge ceremony in a Native American way, but it's not an area of expertise for me. With different tribes you have to get invited into them, is it, is it the same that you experience as a Shinamic healer? Okay, well, yeah, let me, let me clear up what may be some confusion, okay? My understanding, and again, I am not Native American, so... I don't want to say I speak for Native Americans or that I am an expert on their cultures and history, but um, I don't know about saying that you have to be invited to become a member of a tribe. I myself have never been invited to become a member of a tribe, and in North America, in the United States, you know, becoming a member of a tribe really has to do with you know ancestry and. Um, you know, there's state and federal regulations related to becoming, you know, a card-carrying member of a tribe. Um, so, so I don't want to represent myself as having been invited to be a member of a tribe. What has happened as a result of the connections of my teachers, Venerable Tahani and Alberto Liodo in particular, is that they are teaching... Um, um, wisdom principles and practices that they have adapted from uh, Native American spiritual ways. And when I say adapted, um, I guess what I would say is that, you know, Venerable Tani is very clear that, you know, there are some practices among the Cherokee people that are sacred to her people and that she cannot teach to non-Natives. And so she's taken the practices that, um, She has permission to teach to non-natives. And, um, and so in that regard, I'm connected to these spiritual lineages, you might say, through my teachers and energetically, but I am not a member of a tribe, and I do not speak for nor, rep nor represent Native American cultures or their experiences or spirituality. Although I am deeply grateful to the Native Americans like Venerable Dahani and those that have, you know, come before them that have Been, that have been called to and stepped up to offer the spiritual ways of 
their peoples to non-natives to the wider world. With your energetic practice, are you very connected with Mother Nature? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, as a kid, as a small kid, I loved being out in nature. So I wouldn't even say it's because of my energetic, you know, healing practice. I would say that it's been with me ever since I was a kid. And I always remember just feeling like being in nature and knowing that it was beautiful and I felt connected to something greater than I was. And, um, but it was only when I finally began to be exposed to Native American spirituality and the indigenous way of being connected to nature that I was able to kind of give it um, a name other than I love nature. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that I was in, able to begin to understand it as, um, you know, to, to, to understand it more deeply and therefore to then begin to connect in more deeply into the 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 consciousness of mother nature you know as a conscious act of spiritual awakening and spiritual practice and a way of healing and a way of of um you know help staying in balance and harmony with myself and helping my clients and students do the same is it just the native american or has there been other uh indigenous tribes around the world that you've been taught or uh experience too no no for some reason so you know for some you know it's funny people's path right you know and this is a part of my life i've had to really really kind of puzzle over and and ultimately accept because as i said when i first met venerable tahani i went there to study buddhism with her right mm -hmm. and um and it was the cherokee practices and teachings and energies that really called so strongly to my heart so and, and my path has been always, always connected to the indigenous peoples of the Americas. This has just been, you know, and, and what I would say is that I didn't, I didn't go out seeking this path. You see what I'm saying? I, it was like, you know, I went to Venerable to study Buddhism, and, it, and there I, I discovered Native American spirituality. And then, you know, I connected with my my colleague and friend and energy healer, Deborah Ray here in Charlottesville, and she was a faculty member in Alberta school and said, go study with Alberto. You know, it was like my path was led and the way it was led was to connect to the medicine, the, the indigenous medicine of the Americas. So I, you know, I've read some books um, on, you know, um, indigenous practices um, in other areas of the world like Africa and and uh, Siberia and so on, but I have never actually sought out those teachers. Um, you know, I've read some books on Celtic um, spirituality, but you know, for some reason, those uh, even though my ancestors are from Ireland and Scotland and England and Germany and France, for some reason, those particular medicine teachings never really captured me, nor did they present themselves in my path. So I really, really am deeply connected, really, to the medicine of the Americas. Um, and that's, you know, when I, when I teach classes at the undergraduate level and graduate level on shamanism, then, yes, I do have them read some books uh, from other traditions um, outside of the Americas. What level of teaching do you do in the undergraduate and graduate courses? 
When you say what level of teaching, can you like, define? What kind of knowledge do you cover? The knowledge that you've explained through this interview, or, or is there other knowledge that you go through? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you probably can tell from, from the way I talk that I draw upon... Um, I mean, you know, I, I've done a huge amount of reading and research on um, the emergence of shamanism in the Western world, and as a result, on Native American spirituality and religion. Um, you know, and that research has included writings by Western historians, anthropologists, uh, scholars of religious studies, um, as well as Native American um, historians, scholars, um, anthrop you know, anthropologists, psychologists. So, you know, my research um, covers a broad, broad range. My academic research, I would say, covers a broad spectrum of writers, uh, both indigenous and um, and Western. You know, um, and um, I bring all of that into my teachings because um, fundamentally, I think shamanic practice in the Western world is really about connecting in with um, the ways in which we as individuals and as families and collectives are trying to heal and come into balance and harmony with Mother Earth. And so understanding and knowing the truth of history um, is really, really important. It's really important for me that my students understand and know where shamanism, in quotes, where the word comes from. Um, where the practice of, quote, shamanism in the Western world comes from, what the roots are, what the influences are, because a part of the practice of shamanism in the Western world is a practice of deep gratitude. Um, you must always express gratitude to Mother Earth and to all of your relations, you know, rock, stone people, tree, plant people, and all the beings that walk, swim, crawl, fly, and creep. You have to express gratitude to all the beings of light, angels, and powers and helpers of the directions of the medicine wheel. And you also have to express gratitude to your ancestors. And if you are, and, and in my spiritual way, um, those ancestors include the teachers of our, it includes our teachers and the teachers of our teachers. It includes the Native Americans who have stepped up and have the courage to take the risk to bring their wisdom teachings to non-Natives. Um, and so um, there's always this practice of gratitude. And there's an understanding in shamanic practice as well as in many indigenous practices around the world that we must know our ancestors and we must connect with the, the history of our peoples and the history of our own lives because that is a practice of gratitude, and ultimately, um, it's also it also brings us into deep self knowledge because we know where we came from, and we can also work with our ancestors to heal their wounds, to heal our wounds, so that whatever those woundings, whatever that pain is, doesn't then get transmitted to subsequent generations. So we're always working in gratitude with our ancestors. Did that answer your question? It did, and that's what I was kind of wondering is, how do you teach it? But, um... Oh, right, right. How do I teach That's right. You were talking about the academic. So, you know, um, my classes in include deep prayer. Um, we do meditation. We do. We actually have built, built I built around Virginia and up in, in um, the Montreal area, 
a be beautiful earth wheels. Um, there's stone earth wheels on the earth, and we do ceremony to awaken the wheels. And then when we gather for weekends of study together, we dance in the wheels. We do sacred circle dancing. Um, we do prayer. Um, we do fire ceremony. And then I offer teachings on the wisdom of the medicine wheel and the spiritual path and the spiritual way of being. And we also um, trade energy healing and we learn to journey on behalf of our own healing to connect with plants and animals um, and the stone people um, and the spirits and powers. So we journey to them for messages and for help in our own spiritual journey and transformation. So that's what I do in my spiritual teachings. Um, and yes, I do bring all the knowledge that I have gained through many, many years of re academic research into those teachings. Mm -hmm. So I think that answers your question more fully. It, it does. In the journey you've experienced so far and the journey that's ahead of you, do you think you have com completely um, achieved what you need to be, be achieved? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I mean, you know, I would say that, yes, I have healed the deepest wounds that were left from my, my mother, who is now deceased. I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't done that transformation and healing of those wounds. I wouldn't have been able to have the courage to, you know, leave my academic job to become a shamanic healer and teacher. Um, but, you know, the truth of human life is that we're in the body. Life is messy, you know, and as many healers and many traditions say, we're always peeling the onion you know, in our own transformation and our own spiritual journey. So there's still things within myself that I'm working on personally um, to transform and shift. Um, in terms of my wider work in the world, um, I really am, I really have a vision and I've been given this vision and many um, intuitive friends and colleagues have told me that this is my path, is to teach more and more students um, both nationally and internationally, and to bring these beautiful teachings of healing and transformation and peace and spiritual connection to many more people, um, both through my teaching and my healing work, as well as through, um, you know, the books that I'm currently working on. So I have a lot of work ahead of me. Um, I also have a very, very strong message, I think, to bring to the world about how healing our wounds, the wounds of our own wounds and the wounds of our ancestors is a very necessary process to end violence and conflict in the world. I think it's a conversation that's particularly pertinent today um, because of all that is happening around the world and certainly in my home nation, the United States, with what has happened with the election of the current president and all the conflict in my country that's coming, you know, really showing its, its face at the surface of things. So now I have a lot yet to do, um, and I hope I yet, I yet live another 40 years. I'm, I actually just turned 56 on January 16th, so I'm planning on living at least another 30 years. Excellent. Who inspires you, Rachel? Uh, who inspires me? Um, well, Gandhi is one man that inspires me greatly. Um, I just think when you read the story of his life um, and what he accomplished in terms of not just freeing 
India from colonial oppression, but um, but really just his teachings about um, ending violence and um, nonviolent action and satyagraha, what he called soul force, to me is has has been a deep inspiration. Um, certainly, um, Venerable Tahani inspires me. She is a touchstone for me. In a way, my first and original Native American teacher. I'm inspired lately by Mary, the work of Marianne Williamson. I think she's doing excellent work in the world um, and really coming out on the, a world stage to talk about how we need to you know, live lives that are compassionate and inclusive of diversity. Um, you know, other people that have inspired me on the road, I studied and I, I sat in meditation retreat with Jack Cornfield at Insight Meditation Society and Buddhist Retreat. He, he inspired me very early on in my 30s in my Buddhist practice. Um, and there are many Buddhist teachers that have published books and that I've um, sat with um, that uh, I feel are doing amazing work. Um, I'm just trying to think who else inspires me. Um, certainly my teacher Alberto's path inspires me greatly. If there was one piece of knowledge that you've learned, experienced, or discovered, what would it be? You know, shamanism in the Western world is often described as a path of power, in quotes, which does describe um, an element of the shamanic path, and, and I think it's important to understand that power really means self-empowerment, and also being in, in balance and harmony with, with oneself and with the earth, which then gives one a sense of agency uh, to operate not only in the physical world, but in the multiple dimensions um, and to engage with spirits and powers and energies. But, you know, the thing that for me has always been at the core of my entire sense of myself as a spiritual being from the time I was praying in an Episcopal church when I was a young kid and felt like I felt like the presence of Jesus. And that presence was the presence of this deep and powerful love. And as I've healed myself over many years, there's been an amazing softening, um, softening of my heart and softening of my energy and um, and a deep humility that has grown in me. Um, and, you know, the Buddha used to say, the Buddha said that, you know, on the path of our uh, seeking enlightenment, you know, we'll begin to have, you know, so-called psychic experiences, extraordinary experiences and see and feel and sense things beyond the physical and you know, we might even levitate and be able to bend spoons and things like that, right? But he said that's just another illusion on the path, right? And so, you know, for me it isn't so much extraordinary experiences that I've had, um, of which I've had, you know, many, and a number of which, you know, were powerful influences and in why I became a healer. But really, it's more about this great opening of my heart and softening of my being. And so I'm inspired really mostly, and this is why I call it Mother Earth mysticism, because I think the mystical path, whether it's shamanism or any other path, is a path of love and a path of going into the heart of compassion. And that enlightenment is really 
being in that great heart, that greatness of heart. And with that open heart, we're connected to everything. And so when I've had moments that I'm able to rest in that space, in myself, and sometimes it's like it comes in an instant in the middle of a day or it's with a client or when I'm teaching or, you know, when I'm feeling inspired. I mean, it, it's really that heart opening that is important to me. And so I call shamanism um, the gravity of love of Mother Earth. It's the, Shamanism is the path where we connect to the gravity of love of all that is. To me, that's the most important part of my spiritual journey. Rachel, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show and sharing what you've got to share. Well, thank you, Erin. It's been really wonderful to be able to speak to you and speak to the world. Your, um, your show is wonderful. I've listened to some of your podcasts, and um, I really applaud your work and your, your own spirit. And uh, thank you for letting me talk a lot. <laughs> thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.